Thank you, sir. Well, good morning. Intention this morning is get to Psalm 100, um, not like one, two, three, four, two, one hundred, but to look at Psalm 100. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. But first, was going to do a little bit of uh, some, just some introductory things about the Psalms. We touched on this uh, a few weeks back whenever we looked at a couple Psalms, but. Um, Anyway, that's the intention, and Psalm 100 only has six verses, so not everybody's going to get to read initially. There's a few other verses we'll look at as some examples of some things, so I guess if you don't get to read in in the initial part, just be ready. If you're interested, you can read those verses as they come up. Uh, But uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer first, and then we'll we'll read Psalm 100 uh, and then get into this. All right. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your goodness, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to uh, sing, and um, particularly as I was thinking of the, uh, the last song that we sang, the, the scripture song, one based out of Revelation 4. Uh, Lord, we know that, excuse me, praise is something that is important for us to be involved with. And uh, the the Psalms are very much about that. Uh, But we pray that you would help us to have a heart of praise. Help me, Lord. I know that oftentimes I fail in that. But uh, please help us to learn to uh, just, again, have a heart of praise uh, as we live our lives. But uh, help us this morning as we look at uh, these things in your word. And we ask that you'd be honored and glorified and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Hopefully you can hear me. My throat just feels like it's got a lot of junk in it, so it just feels restricted. I don't know any better way to, word to put it than that. So Psalm 100 is, again, that's the intention is to get there and look at some things in that psalm this morning. So, and again, there's only five verses, so... Uh, no way everybody's going to get to read unless we repeat it. I guess we could do that. But uh, so we'll start up here with, with Pastor Brinker and then just kind of the normal routine about going around the room like that. But again, we'll have some other verses coming up. And so as those come up, if you didn't get to read in the initial part, you can read on those. So if you would go ahead and start. Make a joyful noise <coughs> of the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God, it is he that hath made us, not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, his truth is born through all generations. All right. You can notice, too, the, uh, the heading of this psalm is very simple. Now, not every edition of our King James Bible has the headings in them and, and things like that, but it's very, if yours has it, it's a very simple statement there. It just says, a psalm of praise. 
there are a few uh, very similar worded uh, headings to the Psalms, but in many ways, of course, the whole book of Psalms is very much connected with praising the Lord. The word psalm really has to do with a song of praise, um, and obviously praise is something that is, again, a, a central theme really throughout uh, many of the psalms. And um, as you're aware of, we had mentioned before, I mean, the psalms were, as they were collected, they were the songbook of Israel. That's what, uh, there may have been other things that they sang that weren't, you know, recorded in scripture for us and that, but uh, the psalms were the songbook of Israel. Of course, the psalms is the longest book in the Bible. Uh, you're, most everybody's aware of that. There's 150 individual psalms uh, in the book, and again, they're not really chapters as such. Like other books, you know, divided in chapters and verses, and that's, that's for really for ease of use, being able to find something. I mean, can you imagine, for instance, if Pastor Brinker got up Sunday morning and was preaching on Isaiah 53, 6, and we didn't have chapters and verses dividing, it, it would be a little bit interesting to find it. He'd say, you know, go down to about the 80th page in the book and the, you know, 50th line down, something. I mean, so it is a help, all right, to have, have those things. But the Psalms, again, are, were composed as individual uh, units, and then in time, as they were, uh, not necessarily as they were written, but as they were compiled together in bigger units, um, we had mentioned this before, but, and then I put the information here where you can see it, because I only said it before, and so maybe it was hard to follow, but they were compiled in five different books eventually, and basically those books were, uh, are divided in, uh, in a chronological way as far as the timing of how they were compiled together, not necessarily the timing of the writing. For instance, the last book, book five, there are a number of psalms written by David, which obviously he would have written the earliest psalms, um, but obviously they weren't included in the, in the early groupings of those psalms for whatever reason. But uh, so, there's a breakdown there of, of how those are composed, uh, the book one through five there, and the numbers, and then a brief description on those. Um, uh, but being the longest book, and I, there's uh, some uh, statistics there, uh, if you, you may not have ever thought about it this way, but our, our Bible, the, the, our KJV, the way it's, uh, the order of the books and so on, like from Genesis to Revelation, uh, it's grouped together generally by what, what people consider subjects. In other words, like Genesis through Deuteronomy, they do go together, but they're, they're called the what? The law, right? That's kind of a grouping together. And then what's the, in, in, again, in the order of our uh, books in our Bible, what, what, what's the next group? Books of history, all right, which compose of what? Uh, Joshua through Second Chronicles uh, in, in ours, right? Or actually, I guess, through uh, Esther would be the last of those, right? Before Job. But uh, so, and, and those are looked at as historical in nature. They're basically, 
you know, kind of chronicling events and so on. And then you have another group called what? The books of poetry. Now, how many books are in that? So the answer is five. Right. All right. Um, but and then and then I, let me let me keep going for that. Then and then you have what group? All right. The major prophets, which there are how many listed there? All right. Isaiah through Daniel. All right. That's how they're grouped in ours. Um, but there's a little book in the midst of those, all right, called Lamentations, which is basically a poetical book, all right? It's, it's, it, in fact, in the Hebrew Bible, the arrangement of their books is different, and it's, it's grouped in with the writings or the poetical books, actually, um, not with the prophets as it is in ours. And then you have the minor prophets. Now, major minor prophets, you know, sometimes that gives a connotation. These are more important than the others, but it's basically grouped that way because of length. I mean, Isaiah, uh, you know, and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, for instance, are very long books. And the minor prophets are relatively short books. That's why they have that. The New Testament, very similar in, in groupings and, and, and all. But... When you think of that, it seems like the poetical books are rather a small portion of the Old Testament when you think of it that way. But if you consider that Psalms by itself is the longest single book of the Bible, uh, it really poetry or the poetical books of the Old Testament comprise quite a bit of the Old Testament in actuality. And so, and, 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 and poetry is a very... Uh, very common uh, element of the Hebrew writings, all right? Um, now, Hebrew poetry is a lot different than English poetry. I mean, you can read the Psalms and you think, why are these called poems? They don't rhyme, right? I mean, because that's how, in English, that's how you think of a poem, right? Like, roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you, or something of that, you know I mean? Uh, but that's what you think of as poetry in English, right? It, it's rhyming and all of that. Poetry in, in the Hebrew Bible is different. It's not so much based on rhyming. And, of course, you have to keep in mind, too, it wasn't written in English to begin with. It was written in Hebrew. So there's, it, when you translate it to a different language, it's not necessarily going to sound exactly the same. Word order and things like that are different. But it's based on structure, rhythm, not rhyming, and, and, and these were set to music, all right? All of the psalms were musical compositions, and so the, the music itself was, was as important to the psalm and the purpose of the psalm as was the, uh, the words and, and so on for, for them. But you have, you have the, this, this kind of structure in the Psalms, this composition with the five books, and then um, I, I included a chart there. It, it's, I kind of just adapted that from a book, but it breaks down. I thought it was a very handy chart for me that just breaks down the, 
the various human contributors. Of course, God's the author, but various men wrote the Psalms. God used them and, and so on. And you can see the distribution of those um, throughout there. And I, my, my opinion, all right, it's not stated in the scripture, but my opinion is that David probably wrote a lot more of the Psalms than what are specifically attributed to him in the headings. Because um, there's 50, uh, so one-third of all the Psalms are anonymous. There's no human writer attributed in the heading, but like, for instance, Psalm 2, it, it's anonymous. There's no human writer attributed to it in the heading, but the New Testament attributes it to David. And there are others like that as well. And so I'm of the personal opinion, for whatever it's worth, that, that David probably wrote a lot more psalms than what he is technically credited for in that. All right? And that's not unlike in, in keeping with other scripture. All right? Uh, for instance, you think about the Gospel of John. John really never names himself in there, right? And he always, if he's referring to himself in the historical context, he always refers to himself in an indirect way. And you know, that, that's, that's common uh, in, in the Scripture. And so again, that's, I, I think that David probably had a whole lot to, you know, more to do with the Psalms than what um, uh, are given credit to him. And some of the Psalms that are like... Uh, you'll see them titled For Solomon. Uh, for instance, there's two uh, psalms that have Solomon's name attached to them. And, and it, when you read them, I think it's very possible that David wrote those for Solomon. Uh, again, when you look at the, the context of them and so on. And I think that's possible with, the other, with some of the other ones as well that have other names uh, attached to them. But when you think of the psalms, there's all kinds of psalms as far as and I use the word genre here. I mean, you know, when you think of music, there's different genres of music. Now, when you think of that today, people think of like rock, country, jazz, whatever. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at the word as, as different styles of psalms, all right, because there's a variety of them. Um, all the psalms, again, can be said to be poems or songs, but they consist of an assortment of styles and motivations or you know, reasons why they were written uh, and so on. Um, and, and it gives some, for instance here, right? For instance, a number of David's psalms, when you read uh, particularly in the first book, in those first 41 psalms, a lot of David's psalms are extremely personal uh, and, and were written obviously at a time of crisis in his life when, you know, there was something that was happening to him and around him that caused him to, you know, cry out to God, and we have the words of that uh, for us. Um, so some of them are extremely personal like that, and then others, um, and one that comes to mind with this would be like Psalm 78, which... Uh, is, is the second longest of all the psalms, but it's attributed to Asaph, but it's basically, it's one of, of what would be classified as a historical psalm. It basically is tracing the history of Israel. Now, there's a purpose in it, okay, uh, for teaching, uh, but it's, it's, it's not necessarily personal. It's, it's kind of nationalistic. It's, it's corporate, you know, in that kind of sense. So there's a lot of variety in the Psalms and what they touch on uh, and, and all that kind of stuff. Now, is, 
that clock's not right, is it? So how do I know when to stop? I've seen that before. <laughs> oh, not here, but I have seen that before. But uh, anyway, there, there's a variety of psalms. And um, uh, some psalms, again, are, are like historical because uh, a number of them are uh, tracing God's working with Israel and, and you know, going back. Uh, and some emphasize different events and so on. But the purpose of that, of course, is for those truths to be passed on to, uh, you know, to succeeding generations and to remind those that, that read it and heard it and sung it of God's working. Now, you think about it this way, okay, there are historical books, right? There's most of those same things that are recorded in those historical psalms are, you know, can be seen elsewhere in Scripture in, you know, historical writings. But think of it this way. Again, what are the psalms? They're songs, right? And many times music is used. It's a, it's a good uh, tool, for lack of a better word, uh, to teach, right? To help memorize things, remember things. Um, last weekend when we went to Pennsylvania, there was a, uh, I guess, a DVD that was put in that was something about ABCs of, and I couldn't hear it all, but... Uh, you know, it was going through the alphabet, and it tied in uh, some scripture verses, you know, I guess that had, began with that word or that letter. I mean, uh, stuff like that. But the purpose of that is what? To help kids try to learn the Bible and remember because, you know, again, music is a powerful teaching tool. It really is. Um, and so that's, you know, you can see that then. That's an easy reason why many of the psalms were put that way. Um, but also, uh, there, you know, there's, there's psalms that are just for contemplation, to think about certain things. Um, and uh, you'll see some psalms that are titled maskil, and that's, that's what that word is, is the idea of contemplation. There are some psalms that are simply just prayers. And, and from that, you know, we can, we can learn a lot about prayer and, and how to pray what to pray for, uh, and so on. There are psalms, of course, of thanksgiving, psalms of reflection. There are psalms of confession of sin. Now, there are, uh, there are different words that people use to, to classify all these. I'm just putting it, trying to put it in layman's language there. But, I mean, there are a number of the psalms that are just confessions of sin. In fact, I think Psalm 51 is probably the best passage in the Bible on how to confess sin, uh, it really is. Um, but, and, but there are some other psalms that, that go along with that as well. But again, there's, there's a, a variety in the psalms, but they were all songs that were sung. And again, there's, there's reason for using music to do that. Music is used in, in worshiping God, music is used in teaching, uh, and so on. But turn to Psalm 32 real quick, and we'll read some verses here. Those that didn't get to read... Uh, I'm going I'm to show you one other feature I think that you'll see can be very common in the Psalms, and I just happened to be reading this one recently, and it stuck out to me, so that's why I included it as an example here. But Psalm 32, 
Now, the heading, the Hebrew heading here is a Psalm of David, Maskil. And in my Bible, it, it also has like statements there, but that's, that's not the Bible statement. It's, it's the editor of this particular Bible. It's their, you know, kind of organization or, or groupings, whatever, but it's called, this one says, Confession and Forgiveness, which the psalm is about that, all right? Um, but there's 11 verses here, so let's, let's read this, and then I'll point out these, these features to you as we go through here. So I have no idea where we stopped. But if you want to start there again, all right, Brother Nick. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, though sin is covered. Blessed is the man under whom the Lord imputed not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, in my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in time, and thou mayest be found surely in the floods of great waters, they shall not come nigh unto them. Thou art my hiding place, thou shalt preserve me from trouble, thou shalt compass me about with the song to the Lord. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse, or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come nearer to thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusts in the Lord, mercy shall come. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. All right, in this psalm, there's a number of things here, um, but you can see, all right, it's, again, it's attributed to David, and it starts out with a typical statement of the psalms, blessed is he, all right, so uh, the person who's described here is looked at one who's blessed, fortunate, all right, happy, joyful, but whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now, and you'll see that it talks about confession, forgiveness of sin in the psalm. In fact, it's quoted some in the New Testament. But uh, it seems, many think, and I, I am of this opinion as well, that this psalm goes with Psalm 51, all right? Psalm 51 is David's actual confessing of his sin. This psalm is probably uh, written later and kind of his reflection back on that, all right? It refers to uh, his condition before he confessed his sin and then, of course, his condition after he confessed his sin and received forgiveness, all right, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile, all right, so that's reflecting from the, you know, from the back on it, all right, that the person who's in that condition, who has confessed and received forgiveness, 
They're in a good place, all right? That's, that's the idea. And then notice the next verse, it reflects on his condition before he confessed, all right? So he says, when I kept silence, in other words, it appears, think about this for a second, all right? David, his sin with Bathsheba, that would be the, uh, the, the particular sin in view, all right? Uh, she became pregnant, right? And there was a child born, right? That doesn't happen overnight, by the way. I, I think everybody's aware of that, right? Uh, Gabby wished at this point it probably did. But, uh, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes a number of months for all that to transpire. The child was born, and we don't know how old it was, but at some point the Lord, the, Lord, the Bible says, struck the child with a sickness. And, was, and the child was in that condition, condition for some time. Again, we don't have the exact timing on that. But then uh, the child died. All right? So my point is, and then, then you have uh, somewhere in there, David is he's covering, I guess you would say, his sin. He hasn't confessed it. All right? uh, there's a point in time when Nathan comes in and confronts him. And he melts before the Lord and confesses. But you see how these verses describe what he's, the condition that he personally was in before he confessed. When he was, you know, regarding his sin. He was, he was trying to cover it and so on. He says in verse 3, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. I mean, that's, that's describing the exact opposite of the first couple of verses, that someone's blessed, all right? And, and this, by the way, indicates that sin does affect a person physically as well. Think of that. It says, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old. I mean, David was physically suffering because of his spiritual condition here in not repenting to the Lord and so on. And then he says, uh, waxed old through my roaring all the day long. His roaring, I mean, he's just miserable, right? And then he says, for day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. He was under conviction. He was under conviction, and he knew he was wrong, but he was just not making it right. You ever been there? <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, he said, God's hand was heavy upon him. He says, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. That could be reflecting on a physical thing, but also probably emotional and so on uh, here. But the bottom line is David was, he was miserable. And he was suffering uh, physically, emotionally, and so on because he wasn't right with God. And being a child of God and being not right with God, out of God's will, out of, out of sorts, if I can say it that way, with God, is probably the most miserable person on the planet. An unsaved person, you know, uh, they might be miserable, but I think a, 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 a wrong Christian, if, if you understand what I mean, is probably the most miserable person that there is. And, and David was that way. He was, a, he was a child of God, but yet... He went for some time. We don't know exactly how many months out of that that he was unrepentant and, you know, uh, and, and stubborn and so on. And it's interesting that that's referred to in here. But uh, 
for some time. Then he was confronted, and again, he repented, and we have, I think, the greatest example of repentance and confession of sin uh, in the Scripture in, in Psalm 51. And by the way, think of this, you know, this is kind of beyond, I guess, but just for thought here, you, you consider Saul being confronted by Samuel, and you consider David being confronted by Nathan, and there's a great difference in their responses. Saul, the king before David, remember he didn't fully obey the Lord. He went on that mission to the Amalekites and so on. But anyway, and Samuel confronted him, and, and he was like denying he did anything wrong. And then finally, you know, he gets shown the evidence is brought before him, but he's like, okay, I'm right, I'm wrong, let's get over this and go on. I mean, he obviously had no real repentance in his heart. David, on the other hand, he was a repentant man. There's a complete difference in their responses to sin. But in this psalm, okay, and the reason that I had you turn here is, you can, when you read the psalms, particularly, pay attention to the pronouns. The I, we, or you, he, they, etc., because they're very important. In this psalm, you can see, I, I, there is a technical term for it, but... I think this is, a, this is a characteristic that's seen often in the Psalms. You'll see uh, more than one voice talking in the Psalm, all right? In here, you see David, obviously, is the one beginning the conversation. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputed not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile, all right? He's, he's talking to an audience, Maybe not, like, I'm not saying like a public speech, but he's, he's writing this. He's, he's talking to those that are going to be reading this, all right, in a general way to everybody there. And then he says, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. So notice that. What's the difference in verse 4? For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. Who's he talking to here? All right, he starts out talking to everybody else, right? And then he's, he's it, it's as if he turned, he's talking just to God here. Thy hand was heavy upon me. He's reflecting back on this, okay? Uh, and then he says, I will confess, and so on. Um, and then down in verse 6, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. I believe that that statement he's reflecting on in verse 6 the fact that we need to, you know, obviously from time to time, we need to confess things to the, to the Lord. And he's saying that that's, the, that's a good thing to do. We, we need to engage in that. We need to practice that. Um, and then verse 7, he goes back to talking to the Lord. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. And there's several selahs down through this psalm, all right? But again, there he seems to be talking to the Lord again, right? Now notice verse 8. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Uh, be not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Who's talking in verse 8, would you say? It's the Lord talking here, answering David, all right? David was, was 
speaking, and then he talks to the Lord. Now you have the Lord answering here, and God is saying, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. This is, I keep looking at that clock, but every time I look at it, it says the same thing. But anyway, this is, uh, this is pretty neat if you think about this, the picture that's here uh, with this. He says, I will guide thee with mine eye, be ye not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. All right, you know what? A horse, a mule, they're, they're big, strong animals, right? But they can be, um, for lack of a better term right now, my mind's foggy, but they can be domesticated and used for man's benefit, right? But generally, you have to use some devices in order to control them because they're stronger than we are, right? Bigger than we are. And if they really wanted to, without those devices, they could get their, you know, they could just do their thing, wouldn't follow our instructions, so to speak. I mean, you, you understand what I'm saying, right? And you see that in verse 8. Don't be as the horse or the mule who, you know, you got to use a bit and bridle, basically, to control them, to get them to do what you want. But notice what God said there. He said, I will instruct thee... Um, lost my place, and teach thee in the way thou shalt go. So in other words, God's saying, you know what, if you'll listen to me, I can, I can show you the way, the way to do things. I can show you where you need to go, what you need to do, and so on, right? And then he says, I will guide thee with mine eye. Now, everybody here can relate to this, all right, either as a child growing up with parents or as a parent with children, all right? You know, there's, everybody talks about there's that look, right? And you can look at your kids and hopefully they are aware enough that, you know, when you give them a certain look, they either stop something or there's other ways you look at them and they should start something, right? I mean, you understand what I'm saying, right? But think about this. God's saying he, he wants to teach us and so on, but then he puts in this statement I will guide thee with mine eye. And then he, after that, he makes the comparison of don't be like a horse or a mule that I got to drag around with a bit and bridle. Now, in the context here, David's reflecting on a time in his life when he wasn't listening to God. He had done something that he knew was wrong, all right? And he was suffering consequences in his life for that. And in the, the context of the, the two verses here that God is speaking, God was having to treat David like a horse or a mule. You're not going to listen to me? <clears throat> what happens when you pull on the reins of a horse when they have a uh, bit and bridle in? Right? I mean, can you imagine having a stick across your mouth and somebody behind you yanking that? It gets your attention, right? And that's what basically what that does to a horse. <laughs> but uh, but uh, some horses who are trained well and cooperative, you know, you hardly have to do anything. You can kind of touch their neck with the reins and they'll turn. Or, you know, you can give them some verbal commands and they'll listen. If, but not all horses do that, and especially all the time. But, uh, but the Lord's saying here, don't be like that. 
watch my eyes. I, I, and again, I was reading this the other morning and thinking about this. And that's why I use this as this example. There's different voices. That's the whole reason I went here. In this psalm, there's, you know, different ones. It's like a conversation. That's a characteristic that's common in the psalms. But think of this, and this is just a practical lesson here. Maybe we'll not even get to Psalm 100, but the Lord, how are you, okay, it, it, just think of this. How are you going to know, how, how are your, let me, let me back up with the illustration first. How are your kids going to know what you expect of them? All right, and there's, look, I mean, you know, there's, there's got to be spending time together, all this kind of thing, but, but if they're close to you, they can look at you and know what you want, right? Same thing's true with the Lord, and you see that, that picture illustrated here. The closer we are to the Lord, we're paying attention to Him, we're communing with Him, we're, you know, in His Word and so on. I mean, He can just look, and we can, you know, He direct us that way. It doesn't have to, and that's the bless way, by the way. It doesn't have to be to where we're always being yanked around because we're stubborn and, uh, you know, we're, we're not concerned with minding him and, not, and maybe just not even watching him. I know my wife talks about how that uh, when she was a little girl, and I'll just pick on her instead of me this morning, but her dad had a, had a ring on his hand, and whenever, if, if they were sitting, like, together in church or something like that, and they were, her sisters were, you know, loud, doing things that shouldn't, he would just tap them on the back of the head with that ring, which probably didn't feel very good, but it get, got their attention. But they weren't watching him, you know, otherwise he could just give them the look, but since they weren't looking, he had to get their attention another way. Uh, and again... Far too many times, I know in my life, God has to, he's got to hit you with the ring, so to speak, or yank the chain, you know, I mean, to get your attention because you're not paying attention to him. And so, uh, this, this is an example, again, of the changing of voices, but you'll see that often in the Psalms, and this Psalm's a, a good example of that. Uh, there are, there's a lot of them, but... Uh, Pronouns are generally the, the tip-off with that and, and watching what they're saying. But some of the psalms were written in what's called an acrostic format. Um, for instance, Psalm 119, the longest of the psalms, um, if you've ever paid attention. And some Bibles have it broken up that way, some don't. Um, for instance, my particular Bible here has them broken up, but... If you ever looked at it, Psalm 119, it's 176 verses. There's 22 sections of eight verses each, all right? Each of those sections, the verses, the lines in, in Hebrew, they don't in English, but they all begin with the same letter. And there's, there's again, 22 sections. There's, Hebrew has 22 letters in its alphabet, and each of those correspond with those sections there. Those sections correspond with the letters. That's a common thing in Hebrew po poetry. The Book of Lamentations that was mentioned earlier, the whole thing's laid out that way. But, um, but that's a common structure that you'll see 
uh, a number of times in, in Hebrew poetry. All right, uh, Psalm 145 is another example of that. Many of the Psalms are prophetic uh, as well, not just personal prayers and things of this sort, but many of the Psalms have a prophetic nature uh, and so on. Psalm 22 is probably one of the best or greatest examples of that. And in fact, if you read that Psalm, it has to remind you of the crucifixion. And um, in fact, that psalm is referred to in the gospel accounts numerous times regarding what Jesus went through on the cross and so on. An interesting thing about that, David uh, penned that psalm and David lived in like 1000 B.C., 1,900 B.C., crucifixion was not even invented. I believe the Romans invented crucifixion, but not for probably 700 years after that psalm was written. And uh, so, again, I mean, just one of those attestations of Bible prophecy uh, and so on. But the, 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 many of the, the things in that psalm obviously refer to what somebody endured in crucifixion and so on, but it's a, it's a very prophetical psalm. And uh, uh, there's other things here I'm not going to worry about right now on there, but uh, since according to my clock we're about out of time, I think we'll just, we'll just stop there. But I want you to think about that, I guess, then, since we didn't get, get to Psalm 100, um, maybe we'll do that next time. But think of those lessons in Psalm 32. That's a, and in fact, I encourage you to, to later today or this week, spend some time meditating on that psalm. It's a, it's, a, it's a good passage of Scripture that reminds us of the importance of living right being right with God. There are always, there are always consequences in our lives to sin. Um, the thing, the, the, if you want to say the good news to us is God does stand ready and willing to forgive. And He will forgive. And, uh, you know, He doesn't, he, He's not like standing over us with a big stick, waiting for us to mess up, right? And I believe when a Christian sin, God gives him space. I mean, generally, you know, you're not being chastised immediately after you sin. God generally gives you space to, I mean, the Holy Spirit convicts you, and you can respond to that. Now, again, depending on the whole nature of everything, there might be consequences to that. You know, there might not be any seeming great consequences to that if you're uh, um, sensitive, I guess is a good term, to the Lord and respond to Him and so on. But, uh, but again, sin's always destructive in our lives, no matter what. And so uh, it, it affects, of course, our, our walk and fellowship with the Lord. But that's a, that's a good psalm um, to... Uh, to help us reflect on the importance of being and staying right with the Lord and ramifications that can be uh, if we're not. So let's go ahead. We'll pray and then be done there. I think it's about five till I think. Uh, I got a good excuse if it's not, but anyway. <laughs> All right.
Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for uh, your word. And uh, again, just the, the book of Psalms has been a, a book that's been become more special to me uh, over the last few years than it ever was before. But um, so many wonderful passages in it. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to, uh, if not make it a regular practice of reading the Psalms, but to uh, give it some consideration and, and um, uh, just look for great benefits that can be from uh, spending time in the Psalms. But thank you for your word, and thank you most of all for the Lord Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.